You're listening to the True Life Church Podcast. Sermons are recorded at our Sunday gatherings from Melbourne, Florida. True Life Church guides people to take the next steps in their relationship with Jesus Christ, to grow, belong, and serve. We hope this audio message encourages you to take your own next steps in faith. If you'd like to know more about our church or attend one of our gatherings, find us online at www.truelifemelbourne.com. Today's message comes from lead pastor Joshua Smith. I'm so thankful for you all being here today as we open the word of the Lord together, as we praise him together, uh, and as we pray for our uh, children's volunteers uh, down the hall with 17 kids under five years old. So, yeah, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for you bringing your families here. What a testament that is, actually. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that um, numbers of years ago that uh, we had this we were outgrowing our, our last location and um, prayed and desired a place where we would have more kids' room, and that's being utilized down the hall. So I'm thankful to God for what he's doing. I'm thankful for you for bringing your families, and I'm thankful for those who are serving back there teaching the next generation. Before we get into the, the word today, uh, I just want to want to pray. So let's begin there. Heavenly Father, uh, is the right good thing to give you thanks and all that we do and all that happens. And so, Lord, I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for the, the opportunity before us uh, this day that you have given us. I pray that we use it wisely, that your word um, will not fall on deaf ears or hard hearts today. But they would have soft hearts ready to read and respond, open ears ready to hear your voice and your will and quick feet to action uh, to do what you are calling us to do this morning. God, I pray for the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together, they would be pleasing in your sight. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand and begin. We uh, we are just going to read just a few verses together, as is now like David Allen said earlier, something we've been doing all year, uh, communion uh, every single week, I think except for one. Uh, don't hold that against us. Um, and then also, uh, standing for a little bit of the scripture reading because God's word is holy. Uh, if you saw the end of the, uh, was it the National League playoffs wild card last night, Mets versus, there wasn't anybody sitting. So they can stand for nine innings. Surely we can stand for a little bit of God's word. And I'm not saying that, that we are resentful about that, but I'm, I'm saying it's good to be reminded of why we are doing what we're doing. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 5, and this is our passage from last week before we go into today. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. And last week I said, we're going to leave Peter in prison for a little bit. 
just kind of let him linger there for the sake of our story. So, Lord, as we are standing, as we are um, reminded, I pray that we would also um, uh, respond in kind of what your word is going to teach us today. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. A couple of quick things from last week. Uh, Christ will have a church in this world. Uh, that's guaranteed. Second of all, his church will be attacked. And thirdly, those attacks will fail to destroy Christ's church. Peter here is in uh, prison. That's kind of where we left him for a week. And what was the church actively and earnestly doing during that time? They were praying. We read about it in verse 5. We're going to read about it a little bit more as well. Um, also, a few quick pointers from last week, uh, things to, to take away. Um, it's easy to be the type of church the world is looking for. It's easy to be the type of church the world is looking for, for community uh, activism or outreach or social justice or just a good you know, homeless ministry and all those things. Those are good things, but it's much more difficult, much more less appealing, to be honest, to be a church solely focused on God's Word and reorienting our lives around, around that. But that is what we are called to do. There's a lot of distracted churches, and we don't want to be distracted. We want to be purely desiring the Lord. And this church here that we're reading about, uh, they could have had a riot. They could have protested. That would be the modern-day response. You've locked up someone of our own, like Russia and the basketball player over there. You've locked up, and we've seen protests and responses and, and people trashing other businesses and other communities to, to create or raise awareness of. We don't see the church doing that in here, do we? What do we see them doing? We see them praying, not protesting. That's what they are doing. Finally, this is the call. Peter, this is not his first time in lockup. Jesus' call to not only the apostles, the disciples, but by extension us, is to die. It's called to die to self, to die for others. Jesus says in the book of John, greater love has no one than lay down his life for his friends. So to die to self, to die for others, and to, and to die because of Jesus. So we remember the words of John the Baptist, he must increase, I must decrease. And this is one of our pursuits is the Christ following life. More of Christ, less of self. And this is hard because we are selfish people. We like what we like. We want to do what we want to do. We like our convenience, our comfortability, our calendar. Be able to give some of those things up at the sacrifice that Christ has called us to puts us in an uncomfortable and often precarious situation. Welcome to the club. We're going to go on in our text, and before we do, I've titled today's message, The Battle of Ectones. Anyone ever heard of it before? No? It's right here in Acts chapter 12 if we're paying attention. You may have heard of the Greek battle of Thermopylae. Yes, no? Yeah, Some of you historians in here, right? What about the Roman attack on Carthage or Hannibal and his conquest over the, the Alps on elephants? Yes, no? Ancient history? Okay. What about the Trojan War? Famously and poorly portrayed in a Brad Pitt movie. Well, here we have the Greek battle of Ectonese. And it is perhaps one of the best and greatest battles you have never heard of. Right here waiting for us in Acts chapter 12. You might be looking at like Ectonese. I don't 
I don't see, I don't see that in there. Uh, bear with me. That's kind of the point. So for the sake of today's passage, I'm going to read uh, where we just left off, uh, beginning in verse 6, all the way to verse 25, and then we're going to expound on some things. I've preached on this text before, um, and we, as we left Peter in, in the prison, I guess, and last time I preached on this, I believe it was a year, year and a half ago, uh, it wasn't in a series in Acts, and, uh, and now we are in a, just a walk-along series in Acts, and again, if you think I'm going too slow, just hop into the young adults group for a week. Um, I'm thankful they, they, keep, they keep me humble and, and honest. Um, so... Uh, I'm just going to read all of this. Last time when we read this, we see the, the, the this church and the disciples, they were praying. They were praying earnestly for Peter. And in a few verses, you're going to see that when he actually shows up, they actually don't believe it. They're so busy praying, actually. It can't, it can't, be, can't be Peter. No, no, no. Surely it's like the Uber Eats guy. He just looks like Peter. You know, it's, the voice is the same, you know, pulled up in the same car. It's not... Peter also drives like a Ford Escape or something like that. This is not the Escape we're talking about. This is just, it's, surely it's not Peter. And so there's some amount of disbelief in their prayer. So from the last time I taught on this, just as a quick highlight, because we are not taking this angle uh, today. It's the beauty of God's Word. Um, we can read it, reread it, teach it, reteach it, and learn new things every time. So when we pray for something, let's not be in disbelief that God will or can answer our prayers. Verse 6, now when Herod was about to bring him out, this is Peter, he'd already killed James, but this is Peter, and when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. Now, if you've been tracking with us all the way through Acts, in Acts chapter 5, Peter has already had one miraculous, amazing escape. So like, let's not have that happen again. So they doubled up the guard. We read in the earlier few verses that Peter had four squads, most likely it was 16 soldiers, whose only purpose is to guard Peter. Now I could pick at random 16 of you and have you come up here and stand. It'd be awkward for all of us, but I could. I have you stand up and make your only job be to pay attention to Tracy. Right behind you. There's, there's Tracy. Hi, Tracy. You just met somebody. There's Tracy. And I could put 16 of you up here and say, your only job is to pay attention to Tracy. It wouldn't be hard for 16 of you to pay attention to where Tracy went, right? That's, that's your only job, right? And then I could take it a step further and chain two of you to Tracy. And again, it would be uncomfortable for, for all of us, all right? Especially if I lost the key. So there's, there's Tracy and she's chained up. It would be hard to then even physically get away from Tracy, because wherever you go, there Tracy is. That's your only job. So I want you to have that in the back of your mind. You, they doubled up the guard. And so at night, Peter is sleeping, and he's chained to two separate guards. Incredibly unlikely and impossible for anything to kind of go wrong in this situation, right? They've learned from their past mistakes. Let's double up the guard. He got out of one. Let's chain him to two guards this time. That'll, that'll hold him. And during this, an angel, behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side, woke him, saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands, no key required. Chains fell off his hands, and the angel said to him, dress yourself 
and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Now keep in mind, the other guards are still out of it while all of this is happening. Pretty amazing. So he wraps his cloak around him. He has the time to get dressed, you know, like, you know, putting on, they didn't put on socks or sandals that way. But he's getting dressed and they're just, they're out right there in the cell. And so he went out and he followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Like, this is the best and weirdest, coolest dream that I've had. You know, you might have a dream where there's a water flowing, a waterfall in the middle of the night, and you find yourself in the bathroom, you know? It might be one of those types of dreams. It just moves you to a place. Peter's having kind of one of those experiences. It's a dream that's so real, so tangible, there's, and then also so improbable because it's his current circumstances. Well, what was done being, being done by the angel was real, though Peter thought he was seeing a vision. Verse 10, And when they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city and opened for them of its own accord. And if you would have known the gates at the time, by one person this would have been impossible. This iron gate would have been retracted or lowered down off of gears and mechanisms, and then once finally down, would have been locked in place on either side. You ever have one like a deadbolt type of thing on your door at home? Imagine that, just a lot bigger and a lot heavier. And this gate comes up all by itself. And they went out, and they went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. Now, when Peter came to himself, I'm, I'm awake, I'm actually out, this isn't a dream. He said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod, from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And what were they expecting? They were expecting his death. Now, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and they were praying. They were praying for him. And when he knocked at the door, the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And she recognized Peter's voice, and in her joy, she did not open the gate, but instead ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Worst door person ever. At the same time, so excited. Like, put yourself in those shoes. I heard, I heard their voice. <gasps> He's on the other side of the door. i got to go tell somebody. So, so excited that you kind of forgot the one thing she's supposed to do. Check. Open the little slidey thing. But she heard his voice and so excited and went to tell the others. In her joy, she said, Peter's standing at the gate. And this church, these people, these praying, they said, you're out of your mind. Peter's in prison with four squads, chained between two dudes in a cell. It's night. That's where Peter is. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, well, maybe it's his angel, like it's an apparition, it's a vision. It's not really Peter, it's just a, just a vision of, of Peter. Maybe they've already killed him, you know, and, and possibly even in the way that Jesus resurrected, perhaps this is just a vision of, of Peter. But Peter continued knocking. 
Imagine being in that situation. Like, I've got out of prison, and this, my own people won't let me in. Like, I'm trapped on the outside. Now, at this point, in the middle of the night, people are probably starting to become wary that, like, who's, who's that knocking? You know, like, I'm sure there's a neighbor somewhere who's, whose wife was vigilant. I heard a noise four streets away. Husband, get your flashlight. Go check it out. But it's middle of the night. Go, go do it. So husband gets out. He gets his torch. you got to be kidding me. Middle of the night. Go check on these things. And so Peter's out there making noise. Let me in. And when they finally opened it, verse 16, they saw him and they were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, and he's doing that because they were probably like, Rhoda, it is Peter! Rhoda, you're not a... You're not out of your mind. It's Peter. I'm supposed to be in prison. Motioning him in his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and the brothers. Then he departed, and he went to another place, like a safe house, a place of hiding. Because they know he's out of prison. Guess They probably know where these people are in this early church. Where are they probably going to come looking for him? There. Well, he better not be there. So he leaves. And when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. Imagine again if you were this guard. You were chained to him when you fell asleep. So was another guy. And when you both wake up, he's gone. And your chains are just there. After Herod searched for him and did not find him, because Peter went AWOL, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Got suddenly very tragic for you if you were that guard. Painful, permanently. But that was the cost. That was the expectations. If you were one of those 16 people who, let's say, had to watch Tracy and Tracy escaped, now your life was forfeit. Forfeit. So all these guards died. They put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now, separately, but not unrelated, Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, having persuaded arguably one of the coolest names in the New Testament, Blastus. I just, maybe my brain just thinks Star Wars on that for something. I don't know, just Blastus. And he was like a stormtrooper, he couldn't hit anything, so just Blastus. And, and the Blastus was the king's chamberlain, his little number two. And they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. Now keep in mind, there was this famine that we talked about last chapter. The famine that Agabus had foretold, the famine that the church decided in Antioch that they were going to come together, and they were each going to give it according to their own ability to send relief to Judea and the area around Jerusalem for this famine. So there was some relief effort done, probably on behalf, if not in part or its entirety, based on what the church has done. And so Herod is kind of like, we have food now. It's okay. Tyre inside, and they were grumpy because they were having to go get their, their food from King Herod. And on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them, a fine speech. 
And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. And that's the one we've read about in verse 12 as well. Let's start with where we just wrapped up a little bit with Herod. Again, this is Herod Agrippa. We talked about him as well as the three different Jameses in the New Testament. We talked about them last week, so you can check that out on our on our podcast or, or Facebook and um, and all that if you missed it. I encourage you to, not because of what I said, but in context for today's story. So again, there was the food shortage. There was the famine. So that's why Herod was there and in giving this giant speech courtesy and been persuaded by Blastus, just so I can squeak his name in there one more time. Now, the historian Josephus gives us a little bit of detail as to what went on here. It says that this royal robes that King Herod uh, wore in this time were all like bright, shiny silver, so much so that they were reflecting this the sun and like almost blinding people. And so he's giving this speech, and he is... Struck down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. And again, just being careful, but, you know, because this, this text is sufficient. Uh, but the historian Josephus, again, same, gives us a little bit more insight and uh, says that most likely he would have, uh, he came, had stomach pains there, perhaps a parasite or physically an actual worm. So this is very accurate. Eaten by worms and, and then died. That's a, that's a painful way painful way to go, like, kind of immediately during that speech. Um, And Herod here was seeking his own glory. We know that he's giving a final ration, that he's putting on his best robes. We know that Herod's pursuit was what we read about Earlier, in chapter 12, verse 3, he saw that it pleased the Jews when he killed James. So what is King Herod's pursuit? Well, it's popularity. He's doing what pleases the people. And he sought his own glory instead of the Lord. You don't have to turn here, but I will. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23 Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and do do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Didn't we do? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Herod was a actually, again, a a very popular man of the time. He was well-esteemed, well-regarded. A a lot of the Jews, which was, again, still the primary religion in Judea, Christianity was still growing in its infancy. And though gaining a lot of traction, the Jewish religion is is it. And so he's pleasing the large amount of Jews in the area. And they, they want Christians put to death. He's like, we can do that. Check that box. This is the same Herod Agrippa who came back from Rome and kind of, again, we talked about last week, kind of found his Jewish roots and became very vigilant 
and the uh, observation of the, the sacrifices, the, the atonements, the feast days, the festivals, the Sabbath, and, and getting back to this even to the point of, of contradicting the emperor at the time to, to take uh, a statue, which was they wanted to build in the temple in Jerusalem for the Lord. They wanted to build a statue of a Roman emperor. He's like, no, we're not going to do that. So that created a little bit of conflict, but people were very proud of this is man of the people. Yes, yes, he's not allowing uh, statue in, uh, in the temple to the Lord. Yes, he's doing all these things. Do, do, do. Doing well. Doing good by us as far as we're concerned. I'd vote for him. The reason I'm contrasting with this verse is because this would have been Herod's mentality. I've done this. Didn't I do this? Didn't I observe? Didn't I follow through? Didn't I festival? Didn't I feast? Didn't I sacrifice? Didn't I Sabbath? Didn't I, didn't I, didn't I do? And what is Jesus' Saying, what is Jesus saying here in Matthew? It's, it's not what you did. It's did you know? Depart from me. I never, I never knew you. There's no relationship. Didn't we do all these things in your name? Well, not my name. You did a lot. But you didn't know. You didn't know whose name. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Well... Herod was all about keeping the law. Did he break a law here? Yeah. In Exodus chapter 20, we have the first two, and then continuing on beyond what I'm going to read right now, Exodus chapter 20, you have the commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. And here King Herod Agrippa is raking in the praise, the voice of a god and not of a man. Wow, look at him in his robes and his holiness. And we almost have this Israelite golden calf situation. Except it's Herod Agrippa. You shall have no other gods before me. Secondly, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. One point we can take away from this morning is simply this, and then we're going to build on this in a few moments because this point is not enough, but we will begin here. Don't pursue popularity. If one needed a reality check, don't pursue popularity. The problem is the culture we live in is not worse. It's always been bad compared to what God's word is. However, our culture today makes it more desirable and more accessible to pursue this. That's mostly what social media is, isn't it? I mean, really, how many followers do you have? So much so that there, there are scores of people whose official job title somehow is just influencer. What... What is that? I'm an influencer. Look at my TikTok viral video. It's on YouTube. And so if we don't have those, those likes, those follows, those mentions, those hashtags, those tweets, I don't even know, I'm not on most of those social media things. But a lot of you are. In fact, a 2017 study from Sage Journals, and a researcher named Gene Twinge says over 
over, of over half a million 8th through 12th graders found that the number exhibiting high levels of depressive symptoms increased by 33% between 2010 and 2015. This is already a decade old. This is going even higher now. In the same period, the suicide rate for girls in that age group increased by 65%. Smartphones were introduced in 2007, and by 2015, fully 92% of teenagers and young adults owned or used a smartphone. The rise in depressive symptoms correlates with smartphone adoption during that period, even when matched year by year, observes the study's lead author. Again, this is Gene Twins, a psychologist at San Diego State University. Dr. Gene Twins. Over that time, there was a sharp spike in reports of also students seeking help at college and universities and counseling centers, principally for depression and anxiety. And that number also jumped 30% between 2010 and 2015. It's an incredible increase. As people are hungry for validation, are desperate for online affection, are pursuing popularity at great cost. Another study by the National Library of Medicine of a national sample of young adults aged 19 through 32 showed a correlation between the time spent on social media and perceived social isolation. In other words, the more you are on your social media, the less social, in fact, you are. Just a bit ironic, don't you think? We're lacking deep relationships. We're hungering for community, but let's be honest, community online is short-lived or shallow. Just period. The pandemic, if it taught us anything, it was that. So not only do not pursue popularity, because that in of itself could be a feel-good, put-on-a-meme-tweetable thing for this morning. But that's not enough for us in this first point. Not only do not pursue popularity, but in all things, give glory to God. In other words, what are you pursuing? Who gets, who gets the credit? What is whatever you're doing about? Who are you really serving in every action, reaction, and and operation throughout your day? I'm just brushing my teeth. Really? No, not even that is that simple. You're taking care of a temple of the Holy God, and which dwells in you. So yes, brush your teeth with fervor, with passion. Again. No, I don't practice my sound effects. Sounded awkward. Not only do not pursue popularity, but in all things give glory to God. In your work. In your home. Why are you doing what you're doing? Because someone else asked me to. No! Because we are supposed to serve if we were enslaved, and I use that term carefully because we're all in, you know, many of us in, in bondage to somebody, right? You work for somebody, right? You work at a company. You work on a business. You have to do the thing to do that thing, and otherwise you don't get the money to get the things you want to do. You're all working somewhere, 
doing something for somebody outside of yourself. But really, who are you doing it for? It should be for the Lord. Because we are called to serve those that we are underneath to follow well as according to the Lord. Colossians chapter 3 teaches us this. That whatever you do, work as unto the Lord. Here we have Herod, caught up in his own ego, pursuing his popularity, and resting in his power. I'm sure he was a great communicator. He's going to stand up there and give this great oration. He had the best clothes. He was what you might call an influencer. He's going to stand up there and the Lord strikes him down. Why? The scripture fortunately tells us this in plain language. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. I used to think it was cheesy when I was watching the end of a football game or some such sport. And inevitably, at some time, an interviewer comes up and someone from ESPN says, Coach, let me talk to you after the game. And the coach says, or the player says, I just want to give God the glory. That's great. I'm really happy for that. What I would also love to see is an interview with the losing coach, the losing quarterback. To go to him, I want to give God the glory. Because it's not about winning or losing a football game. It's are we serving the Lord well with our actions, with our words, with the motivations of our heart. We know that uh, God looks not at our outward appearance, at these bright, shiny robes or fancy throne that King Herod would have, but God looks inward at the, what? The heart. And this is a tough spot. I don't want to linger too much here today. But there are dangerously, and we have to keep ourselves in check on this, as a church, capital C, around the world, because there are many pastors in many churches, I'm not going to drop names, it's not about that, because at some point, that's my opinion. But for those of us in the Spirit, it should be very obvious, those pastors are those churching, churches who are pursuing popularity. It should serve as a warning for us. And all things give glory to God. I've been in ministry now for 18 full years, lead pastor for eight, and I've known some five fine men who are pastoring churches. The finest of which, in my, again, opinion, pastor churches of less than 200. I'll never read about them in the newspaper. I'll never make national headlines. They'll never be brought into the White House for a day of prayer. They are pastoring, shepherding, preaching their people well. It's not about popularity. But in all things, give glory to God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and we hear the church is doing this. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So a little bit there we can learn about Herod not pursuing popularity. Let's keep moving on and actually backwards even through the text, and examine why why we are even in this situation. Why is Peter even in this situation? Why was James even in that situation? Why are the other disciples 
Timon, Parmenas, the guys, the other deacons in the church that we read about in Acts chapter 6 were killed during this time uh, that we read in verse 1 and 2. When there's violent hands laid upon the church, it's when they passed away as well. Why are they going through this? And you and I might have a rough situation in our lives spiritually. And again, this is a side sermon, and we've talked on this before, so I won't linger there today. But we often ask, and the world often asks, why, does, why do bad things happen to good people? And we've got that question all backwards. Because are you a good person? No. Am I a good person? No. Well, whose who's standard of good? The Lord's. By that standing, we are on the wrong side. That's why we need a Savior in Jesus Christ. By our own, we are not good, and apart from Jesus Christ, we can't do nothing. We can't even make our own salvation without Him. We can't make our own goodness apart from Him. The world thinks that they're good people that bad things happen to. Our, our better question would be, why do, why do good things happen to bad people? Why does anything at all good come our way? Well, Romans tells us in chapter 8, that God works all things together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. There's the why. So it's not why do bad things happen to good people. It's not even why do good things happen to bad people. The Word has explained that to us. But why is this happening? What is going on right here? It's because Jesus said it was going to happen. And not only for them, but also for us. Hear these words. I'm going to turn to the book of John, uh, chapter 16, verse 31 through 33. John, chapter 16, verse 31 through 33. And Jesus is talking about how he's overcome the world, and they finally get his disciples said, Aha, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Enough of those parables. Now we understand you. Now we know that, that you know that all things and do not need anyone to question you. That is why we believe that you came from God. And Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. When you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. That's what you're thinking. Yet I'm not actually alone, for the Father is with me. But you have departed. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Your version may say, in this world you will have trouble. Anyone want to disagree with that? Didn't think so, right? In this world, we are going to have trouble. We're going to have trials. Jesus said it was going to happen. So you ask, James has been killed. Other deacons, leaders in the church have been killed. Here's Peter, now in prison for a second time. Would, it, would he have been shocked? No, it would have been expected. It would have been on his job description when he signed up to follow Christ. Oh, by the way, prison's coming your way. And death. Okay. All right, this would have been expected. You and I don't actually like to expect this, though. But that's our reality. That's what we've been called into. The same ministry, the same mission as these young men that we're reading about here in Acts. This book, again, is called The Acts of the Apostles. What is Peter acting like right now? Well, he's probably acting pretty calm. He's probably acting this is expected. He's probably acting like, where am I, else am I going to go? He was so at peace, in fact, that this exodus out of the prison, he thought was a dream. He was so at peace, he was having a dream. Sleeping calmly. No worries about it. 
You and I sometimes get too bent out of shape and be like, oh, oh, I'm in prison. This is bad. This is bad. What about the gate? Oh, what about the guards? How am I going to get? You worried about three, four steps ahead instead of just being where you're at. And Peter was with the Lord. So comfortable, so confident in his God that he's having a dream. Which turns out to be not a dream, but real. In this world, we will have trouble. Second of all, in Matthew chapter 10. I'm going to read a little bit here. And I'm not going to apologize because it's all the words of Jesus. And this is exactly what we're talking about. In fact, my heading, courtesy of whoever transcribed this Bible ages ago, says, persecution will come. Where we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Jesus says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them in the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Listen to this today, church. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you, not if, when, when they persecute you in one town, flee them the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So I have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. And again, even as social media people are, you know, climbing down the throats of people for a tweet that they said 20 years ago and getting fired and losing their jobs or being disciplined. Stuff that they thought was hidden that someone would never find out about. It's not a big deal. It will be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Jesus has an easy right now counting mine. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. People in your own house, in your own family, who do not know Jesus, who are atheist, agnostic, a different religion, refuse to see or believe the truth, which hopefully you are proclaiming in your homes. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. 
Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. This is why lacrosse games and sports games on Sunday mornings make me so irritated and irate. Because it's not all about Sundays, but boy, if there was a time for the church to gather, you and I both, though, it's Sunday morning. So where are our priorities? There's a lot of people out there, Christian folk, who love their son or daughter more than the Lord and will always bow down to soccer, to lacrosse, to dance. Just a little side note. I'll get off my soapbox. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Church, are you taking your cross? Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So not only is Peter in this moment probably comfortable, confident, but to be honest, in a way that many martyrs often are excited. This past week, for those of you who keep a calendar, there's a man named William Tyndale, who we would not have this Bible most likely without his sacrifice. William Tyndale in England uh, was martyred, strangled, put to death by fire for translating the Bible into what was then modern-day English. And the Catholic Church at the time put him to death for it. And as he's standing there, getting ready to die, some of his last words were, in a sense, I'm paraphrasing here, my greatest hope is that some childhood boy working in a bar will come to know more Scripture than you. Because of his translation of the Bible in English, you and I, now hundreds and hundreds of years later, can read it in our own tongue. Before this, it was only reserved for the priests and Latin and languages that even today are dead. People can't speak and do not. The Word of God was meant for the people to be able to hear, to be able to understand. So I'm thankful for that. On the backs of martyrs, our church is built. Second hand, third hand, fourth hand, yes, even true life church. So Peter was probably not only confident, not only comfortable, but excited. What a joy to die for Christ. So we know that those who follow Christ are called to pick up their cross and follow Him. We know that there will be persecution against ourselves and the church. We know those attacks won't fail because the gates of hell won't even prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. So take my life and let it be always only for thee. I mentioned earlier that there was this battle going on. Where is that, you may ask, as we return there to close? The battle of Ectinos. Great battle. Huge, huge divisive sides. On one side, you've got King Herod. On the other side, you have the church. Ectinos. I want to return to chapter 12, verse 5, because this is going to tie us in for the rest of this time this morning. Acts chapter 12, verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison. And we know what happens now, if you didn't. Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made by 
was made to God by the church. Earnest prayer. That word there in the Greek is ektinos. Ektinos. That Greek word means fervently, earnestly, constantly, intently, stretching out all you can to reach something. If you had been here early this morning, you would have gotten a glimpse of that as a few of our light bulbs had gone out and Mike Avento is up on the top of a ladder and he's not quite as high as I am. So Mike was up on top of the ladder. And it's a great thing to see Mike Avento, who I cherish deeply, a great friend of mine, but reaching with all of his four-foot two-ness. I don't know. Mike, what are you, 5'11"? 5'4 and a half. We'll give you the half. A strong 5'5". Five five. Mike is a strong 5'5", five five, and he was up on the top of the ladder, and he's reaching, stretching out with all he can to change a light bulb above some of you this morning that you might have light to hopefully open the Word of God today together. It's a marvelous sight. Ectinos, to reach out with everything that you have. In fact, the Greek medical term is this, ectinese. This is, these two words are actually very related. Ectinese means the stretching of a muscle to its limits. So obviously we, we think about physical attributes, maybe Olympians and athletes, but this is actually also the same word that's used in Luke's gospel when Jesus is earnestly, fervently praying in the Garden of Gethsemane before his betrayal and crucifixion. This is that word. Ectonese, the stretching of a muscle to its absolute and and very, very limits. So picture again with me the struggle and perhaps weightlifting. <sighs> Olympics athletes pushing themselves to their absolute limits. And don't these people have stories worth telling? Like that's what you would like to, to read about, to open up ESPN in the morning and seeing athletes triumph or push themselves to the very edge of the limits. Those climbers who climbed that mountain, that bike rider that did that Tour de France, that athlete that just went the extra mile, the, the extra weight, put on five more pounds, world record-setting pace or weight. These people are the types of people who go on to win medals of honors, give it all, the ultimate sacrifice, when they find the absolute limit. Champions in sports, top of their class in academics. So if you're brainy, I'm not excluding you. Ha-ha! I'm so smart. I have a PhD and another PhD and a, and a master's of this and a doctorate of that. Yeah. Look at all these. You can't, I don't even have a name anymore. I'm just... At the end of my name. So many abbreviations. You can be top of your class in academics. You can be incredible artists who push themselves to limit disciplined entrepreneurs. Ectinos, to strain, to push to the absolute very limit, to stretch to the maximum of your ability or potential. So here in chapter 12, we actually see the battle of ectinies. What is it? Metaphorical? Yeah, perhaps. But physically happened? You betcha. On one side, again, you have the ego-driven, popular pursuit person in power, Harold Agrippa! I watched Gladiator this week, so I just got into it a little bit. And Are you not entertained? Okay, all right, so... Dun, 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 ready to preach today. All right, 
So that's what you have on one side. On the other side, you have a persecuted church with people in prison passionately praying. And yeah, I went for the alliteration on that side. Thank you, thank you. So Herod, a popular pursuit person with power. And on the other, a persecuted church with people in prison passionately praying. Both are driven to the limit. The ectonies, the stretching of the absolute limit. Which one prevails? Well, Herod is stretched to his absolute limit of how much he can get away with before an almighty God. Not giving God the glory, taking the credit, taking the power, taking the pleasure, taking the popularity. Yes, it is all, in fact, about me. Look at my robes. On the other side, you have a church on their knees begging the Lord to save one of their own. And most likely, even if God chooses not to, that God would be glorified. So, church today, which one prevails? Herod? Or the church? Church. And the result of this is that the word of God in verse 24 increased and multiplied. Another one bites the dust. Who is persecuting the church. Church, are you stretched to your limits in your faith? I mean, Really? Because let's be honest, myself included, I'm preaching to all of us today. I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching hopefully with you and for you. We like comfortability, don't we? We like our calendar. We like convenience. But some of us, if we are not careful, like a muscle, will atrophy. Right in this room, in the chair you're sitting, week after week after week. If we are but hearers of the word only, and not doers of it. I'm doing my best diligence to teach the word of God faithfully. I can't, however, be a puppet master for you and control your daily choices. Where you go, where you don't go, what you say, what you don't say, how you act, how you don't act, that is, that's you. You are in charge of you. I have no control over you. God continues to humble me in that way. Especially these past few weeks, how little I have control over. Yes, I'm talking about the church. That's okay, it's good. But I want us to be a church that is exercising our spiritual muscle. Stretching our limits. Finding out how long can we pray. How much word can we read? How much can I become more obedient to what God says in my life? Because you and I both walked in here this morning imperfect, and guess what? You and I are going to walk out imperfect. Our hope is to pursue the mark, to follow Jesus Christ. And that as we go out through this next week, that we are called into more obedience, we are called into more worship, we are called into more prayer, 
We're called into more ministry, more mission, more activity, more leading our families well, more sharing the gospel, more humility, more kindness, more forgiveness. And that requires a change in us. We need to be stretched to our limits. And you want to see a church on fire. You want to see God move in the midst. Let's be a church stretched to our absolute limits. Will it be hard? Yes. Will there be trials and persecutions for you standing there? Yes. Is it expected? Yes. Who's excited? And there was much rejoicing. I'm going to close out with two quick scriptures to to close out this morning. First of all is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 20. And I actually don't, don't turn with me here. You can read this later. This is a familiar passage, and I'm going to do something that might annoy some of you, but I believe God's calling me to do it because it's going to work out beautifully. I'm going to read it backwards. Ephesians chapter 6 beginning in verse 20, working our way back to 10. This is the passage on the armor of God. So Paul is writing now, he says, I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare the word of God boldly as I ought to. That I may have words that are given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim this mystery of the gospel. That I may be praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. That I'll be alert with perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. That I will take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That in all circumstances I will take up the shield of faith, which which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. That on my feet I will have shoes, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. That I will also have on the, the breastplate of righteousness and a fastened on the belt of truth. That I will stand firm and take up the whole armor of God, that I may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to just stand. Here we go, verse 12. Why all that? Why all that armor? Why? Because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So put on that whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil and finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. I love that because either way, it's fantastic. And we've led to that point today because we see the church, this battle of ectonies that we're talking about. People stretched to their absolute limit, the armor of God. And what is our battle against? Was the church's battle against Herod? No. So they didn't riot. They didn't protest. They didn't trash a blockbuster or something like that to make a point. They didn't set fire to a cop car or graffiti a monument to just make a point. They didn't march up and down the street with signs or banners. Why? Because their enemy's not Herod. And oftentimes you and I in our spiritual life, we misidentify the enemy. We don't call it what it is. This is the devil whose purpose is to come to steal and to kill and destroy. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, 
against the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. David knows this. This isn't just a, a New Testament thing. Obviously, hopefully we know the story of David and Goliath. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and with his shield bearer in front of him. And the Philistine looked and he saw David. <laughs> he laughed at him and disdained him. For he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. I'm five foot five. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come at me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, these worldly weapons. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, spiritual armor, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. I'm going to tell you what's about this. I'm prophesying today. This is about to happen. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines, not just you, but your little army over there encamped on the other side of the valley of Elah. I'm going to give the host of the Philistines this day the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with the sword and the spear, not with the protests, not with the riots, not with the Facebook posts, not with the not with the not with the not with the not with all that, for the battle is the Lord's. It's a spiritual battle, and he will give you into our hand. David knew this. The early church knows this. Do we know this today? You see, a spiritual battle requires a spiritual people. A spiritual battle requires a spiritual people. You and I are called to it, to stretch for it, to grow into new sizes of armor. But are we doing it? I'm going to leave it there. I trust the Holy Spirit tell you and convict you, convict me of the things in our life that you probably already know, need to adjust, need to change to do this together. A spiritual battle requires a spiritual people. Let's not forget who we're fighting and who wins. Let's just be excited to be a part of the battle. Because the battle of Ectonese is still being fought. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this message. This weekly podcast is a ministry of True Life Church. If you'd like to help keep these audio sermons available, you can support our ministry online at www.truelifemelbourne.com forward slash give. Until next time, may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.